you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. There are two reasons that you're turning to Romans and not Ephesians today. Uh, the first is that we are at a bit of a transition point in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're entering into a, a section focused on our, our calling to be a holy people through putting off certain things and putting on other things and being renewed in the spirit of our mind. And that would be fine, except for the fact that my family has vacation plans, which means that Trevor's preaching next Sunday. And then we have three Sundays of combined services with Encounter. And so I just didn't want to start a new section uh, only to not preach from those themes um, for four weeks. So we're going to go to Romans. Uh, the second reason that we're in Romans stems from actually from our time in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 and the discussion that we had last Sunday uh, in particular regarding spiritual gifts. And as we had that discussion, it would seem that there just are some stones left unturned on this reality of spiritual gifts within the church, including identifying maybe how each of us are gifted to serve the church. And so my hope is that this passage will help us go a bit deeper into those ideas, even though, in fact, we're just going to be skimming across the top of these verses. Uh, my hope is that God's Word, through God's Spirit, will open our eyes into continuing to think about who we are as a church and how God might work through each of us to display his glory in the world. To that end, this is the big idea that I want us to see specifically from Romans 12, 1 through 8. As children of God who are given gifts to serve God's people, let us use them. As children of God who are given gifts to serve God's people, let us use them. As we read Romans 12, you'll see that I'm stealing a little bit from Paul, but I don't think he would mind. As children of God who are given gifts to serve God's people, let us use them. That, that actually probably sounds a little familiar, given the, that the past two weeks we've been thinking about the fact that God has given his church gifts so that we're able to grow in unity and love. And yet, I hope that these verses in Romans 12 help us see some new realities and also give us even greater confidence and passion and excitement for finding out how we as individuals can serve God's people, that we are responsible to serve God's people, and that in doing so, we're able corporately to grow in ways that glorify Christ. And so with this idea in mind, as children of God who are given gifts to serve God's people, let us use them. Let's read Romans chapter 12, the first eight verses. This is what God's word says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are 
one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, as we step into Romans 12, we find actually a similar pattern to, pattern to what we have observed in the book of Ephesians. You'll hopefully remember how Ephesians 1 through 3 focused on the truth of the gospel, on what God has done in Christ to save us, and also on some of the implications of that gospel for us individually and as God's corporate people in this world. Then you'll remember in Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul opens with his first major exhortation of the, of the book, his first command, which is, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In light of the gospel, Paul says, now walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And what follows then are commands related to how we carry out this calling on our lives to unity and holiness. And here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after 11 chapters of doing much of what Paul did in the first three chapters of Ephesians, detailing God's work of salvation for we who have been saved by grace, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. There are commands then, there, there are commands in the first 11 chapters of Romans, but like Ephesians, it's after robust theology that Paul enters into strong application here in Romans chapter 12. The word appeal in Romans 12.1 is in fact the same word that's translated urge in Ephesians 4.1. It's in many ways the same sort of command. And we find that same therefore statement that connects the, the call to live as followers of Jesus to the work that Jesus has done. We're reminded again that it is not good news to us if the commands of chapter 12 are what we have to do to earn salvation because we're dead in sin, we're condemned by sin, and we're enslaved to sin. Therefore, we can't walk our way, we can't work our way into God's kingdom or into his family, which is why the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to fulfill the law. He has come to perfectly love God and love others, and he has died to take the penalty for we who deserve, uh, who deserve punishment because of all of our law breaking. It's by grace that we've been saved, through faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, so none of us can boast. And now, saved by grace through faith, we see that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are filled and empowered by God's Spirit, and we're able to walk in the ways that Christ modeled for us and called us to. It's this new way of living that the command of Romans 12, 1 through 2 summarizes. And what is the command that Paul is urging us to follow? It is that we would present our bodies to God as living, holy, and acceptable sacrifices. Like the exhortation of Ephesians 4.1 to walk worthy of our calling, the command to present our bodies as living sacrifices overshadows and informs all of the commands of Romans 12 uh, through 15. And interestingly, like Ephesians 4, the first place that Paul goes when he starts talking about living lives in full devotion to Christ is to the ways that we are gifted to serve the body. That's the first place he goes. The transformation of the gospel brings us into a family, 
and we are now to orient our lives around loving and serving this family. A summary then of, of verses one through two from Dr. Tom Schreiner. This is what he says in summarizing these first two verses. Give your whole self to God, for this is only reasonable. Do not be shaped by this world, but be transformed with new patterns of thinking. The result will be that you will discover God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I like that. Can I read it again? Give your whole self to God, for this is only reasonable. Do not be shaped by this world, but be transformed with new patterns of thinking. The result will be that you will discover God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we allow verses 1 and 2 to lead us into thinking about service of the body of Christ through the gifts of the Spirit, we see a few things. And first we see this. Serving God's people begins with complete commitment to Christ. Serving God's people begins with complete commitment to Christ. Paul uses the imagery of a sacrifice offered to God, which reminds us, of course, of the animals offered to the Lord in the Old Testament sacrifices in the temple. And even in Paul's day, these were happening. Sacrifices were, uh, were set apart to God, and they signified, among other things, a person's full devotion to God. The animal was given, but it represented the giving up of oneself. And here Paul calls us to give ourselves completely to God to offer our bodies, meaning everything that we are, to Christ. Now, you might think that sounds a little extreme, you know? We could surmise that this is something uh, for those who are really committed to Jesus, while the majority of, of Christians will likely just be partially committed to God. But Paul, in fact, he says the opposite, doesn't he? He says that the giving of ourselves, heart, soul, mind, and strength to God is, in the King James Version, our reasonable service. It just makes sense. Others translate this as a spiritual act of worship, meaning it's our natural response of praise to the mercy that Jesus has shown us. In light of what God has done for us, which Paul has just described, it makes sense. It just makes sense that we, we would give ourselves completely to him. In fact, Paul would say it's unreasonable. It is illogical that we would say we are Christians and then not seek with our whole hearts to be committed to him with all that we are. We can be fooled into thinking that the, the Christians we encounter who center their lives on Christ, who who show that they are laying themselves down as living sacrifices, are just a little bit more zealous than others and, and maybe a little crazy. But the opposite is true, isn't it? Those who give all that they are to the service of God and his glory are the ones who understand the gospel best. The irrational thing, the illogical thing, is to say that we are followers of Jesus and then decide not to give our entire lives to him. It's so illogical that it's not possible. Think of the first act of obedience that we're called to as Christians, namely baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is a statement of our full devotion to God. It starts at the very beginning. In the, in the act of baptism, we are identifying with Jesus's life, death, and resurrection as our source of hope, but also we are announcing that his life 
and death and resurrection mark us, that this is our core identity. They are the core of who we are, that we are willing to give ourselves holy body and soul to Jesus as a sacrifice of worship. Looking ahead to verses 3 through 8, we could also say that it's unreasonable to think that we can be uncommitted to Christ in our everyday lives and still expect to be used by the Lord to serve others in the church. The full commitment to Christ has to start first in our hearts before we think that we can be involved in service within the church. We, we seem to have a natural inclination to want to divide our lives into the sacred and the secular, to the spiritual and the the normal. We, we imagine that we can live how we want during the week and then be committed to Christ for an hour or two on a Sunday. But Jesus, Jesus hasn't called us to sacrifice a few hours once a week. He's called us to sacrifice everything that we are to him. Now, do any of us do this perfectly? Of course not. We don't do this perfectly, which is why our ultimate hope is in Jesus. But what Paul's telling us is that we are always to be growing, always to be climbing back on the altar, as it were, always giving more and more control of ourselves to Christ. The Christian life is a life of repentance, and it's often a repentance of not being fully committed to Christ and of giving over more and more of ourselves to him. Paul explains in a wonderful way, in fact, what this complete commitment to Christ looks like. He states it negatively, and he states it positively, To be a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice is first, it's to not be conformed to the shape of this world. You've probably heard me quote J.B. Phillips' translation of this verse before. I love it. It says, don't let the world push you into its mold. Don't let the world push you into its mold. We might think about Play-Doh and the various molds that you can push that Play-Doh into so that it takes that, that shape. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are always putting on the pressure, seeking to conform us to their ways, pressing us into their mindset. But instead of being shaped by the world, we are to be shaped into the image of Christ. We are to be transformed as our minds are renewed by the truth of the scriptures and the leading of God's spirit within us. Preaching on these verses, Sinclair Ferguson mentioned the well-known phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. You guys know that? We apply that in other locales. When in Louisville, do as the Louisvillians do. doesn't have the same ring. Um, but Paul is writing to Christians where? In Rome. And he's writing to tell them, when in Rome, don't do as the Romans do. <laughs> Rather, do as the Christians do, because your core identity is not that of a Roman. Rather, you are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. The Christian, whether in Rome or in Louisville, is to do as Jesus would do. Even on this 4th of July weekend, we would do well to remember that our core identity is the fact that we are part of the kingdom of God. And our citizenship is found in being members of Jesus' family. Our lives are to be shaped into conformity with Christ as our minds are renewed day by day. So as we think about serving God's people, I might ask you, do you want to serve God's people in the church? Well, serving God's people begins with complete commitment to Christ. Not perfect commitment, 
but a daily surrendering of ourselves to the Father, a constant giving up of our lives to God as an act of worship to him, a, a pushing against the pressure to be conformed to the ways of this world and a submission to the power of God's spirit through God's word, shaping us more and more into his image. A second thought then from verses one and two as we think about serving God's people. Serving God's people not only begins with complete commitment to Christ, but serving God's people is a part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Serving God's people is a part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says that when we give ourselves up completely to God as a sacrifice, as a reasonable act of spiritual worship, we will discover God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. As a family, we used to love to watch the This Old House Hour on PBS. Uh, and they had this segment that we loved. It was called, What Is It? Uh, and one of the guys would show up and he'd bring some sort of a household gadget or a, a tool that was a little strange. And the question was, what is it? They were supposed to figure out what this thing was supposed to be used for. And each of the guys on the show would then proceed to give their uninformed and often silly ideas about what exactly this thing was supposed to be used for until finally the person who had brought the item to the group would explain why it had been made, what, what its intended purpose was. Well, sin has corrupted our world and it's corrupted us as well so that we are naturally always moving back into the the chaos that was there before God brought order to everything. And, and because of that, we, we end up seeking our purpose and our function outside of Christ. We're confused about what God's will is, about what God's purpose is for us as, as people. But through the gospel, we are made new creations in Christ Jesus. And God, through his spirit, is always therefore revealing our intended purpose. He's helping us know what we have been designed for and how we will find the greatest joy as we live in the way that he intends, as we fulfill his good and pleasing and perfect will. This helps us see that, in fact, serving God's people through God's church is not a chore. It's not drudgery. It's a privilege, and, and it's, it's a joy. And in fact, it's what we've been created and recreated for. It's his will. When you think about God's will for your life, do you think about it in relation to serving the body of Christ? Or are you more focused on an individual calling or desire? God's word shows us that part of his will, when we are committed to him, and he helps us understand his good pleasing and perfect will, that part of it is serving in the body of Christ with the gifts that he has given to us. That's where we will find his will. So serving God's people begins with a complete commitment to Christ, and serving God's people is a part of his good, pleasing, and perfect will for all of his children. Moving then into verses 3 through 8, let's notice this. Serving God's people flows from humility. Serving God's people flows from humility. We recently said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And here, Paul indicates that Christian humility leads us not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Instead, what are we supposed to be? We are to be sober in our judgment of ourselves. So humility is thinking rightly 
about ourselves. It's natural for us to be intoxicated with ourselves. We can become drunk on our own self-interest and our high opinion of ourselves and our vision gets distorted. Two things keep us grounded in a humble and sober judgment of ourselves. One is the reality that faith is a gift. How do you stay humble? Remember that faith is a gift. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of him, more, more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What keeps us humble? Realizing that faith is a gift. Now there's debate about what Paul means in this phrase, the measure of faith that God has assigned. He could be uh, speaking, in fact, that of the, the reality that some uh, truly are given a stronger and deeper measure of faith to walk the Christian life with. Or it could simply be a reference to the truth that it is God who gives faith to make us his children. That possibly could flow a bit more with the message of Romans. It takes us back to the gospel and it reminds us that there is no room for pride in the Christian because we are saved through grace alone. And that, that grace that is given to us even gives us the faith to trust in Jesus. The reality that faith is a gift keeps us humble. The more we realize that apart from God's gift of faith, we would have no hope, the less room there is for pride in our lives. And the other reality that keeps us grounded is that we are just one part of the body. You, kinda, you see this is in verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This reality that we are just one part of the body keeps us humble. Paul uses this illustration from the New Testament for the church, saying that we are members of the body of Christ. We are different, having different functions, but we are all necessary for the proper functioning of our bodies. Just think about this. We all know this well. We all know that our bodies are a delicate balance, and we need everything in our body functioning properly for us to be healthy. And so too we find that no one member of the church is the entire body. No one member can do everything that is necessary for the body to function well. Even as we saw last week, pastors and teachers are not supposed to do all the work of the ministry themselves. What are they supposed to do? They are to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. Paul even says at the end of verse 4 that we are not simply members of Christ's body, but that in each of us being members of his body, we are members of one another. It's a unique thing to think about the way that he says that. And individually members one of another. We are linked to one another. I think it means this. It means I don't belong to me if I'm a Christian. I belong to you. I, I am here to serve you. We are members one of another. And the same is true of every member of Christ's body. We are for one another. So we find that humility flows from a gospel-centered understanding of ourselves. It flows from knowing who we are in Christ. We begin to see that all that we have is a gift of God's grace and that we've been invited into the body of Christ because of his mercy. And here, each of us are called to serve and to strengthen one another. 
So part of the question here when it comes to humility is where is your core identity? Is it rooted in who you are as a Christian and a member of the body of Christ or is your core identity somewhere else? This image of the body leads us into verses 6 through 8 where we see that serving God's people is something he equips us for. This is not new. We've been seeing this over the past few weeks, but Paul says it as well. Serving God's people is something he equips us for. Verse 6 says that we all have different gifts given according to God's sovereign grace. Every member of the body is gifted to serve the body in various ways, just as every part of our physical body contributes to the proper functioning of the body. And so you, if you are a Christian, you are gifted by God to serve and strengthen this church. And if you are not serving and strengthening the church as you are gifted, then our body will not be as strong as it could be. And you're missing a part of God's good, perfect, and well-pleasing will for your life. Now, as he says that, Paul lists some of these gifts, and he's clear with each one that if we are gifted in that particular way, then that's what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do it with all of our might. We're not supposed to seek out a different gift. We're not supposed to resist using that gift. And all of this leads back to this big idea that we stated at the beginning. As children of God who are given gifts to serve God's people, let us use them. The overflow of the reality that God has gifted his children is that we should actively seek to serve God's people in his strength and through the gifts that he has given us. If this is part of God's will for us, then we should be eager to be actively involved in the work of the ministry that God has equipped us for. This is, this is what Paul says in verse 6. You saw it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. So the question is, what's my gift? That's what everyone wants to know. What is the gift? We, we've talked about this a bit. Let me summarize, though, some ways to go about discerning how we each might know how we are gifted to serve and strengthen one another. I want to give you four ways to know, to maybe try to answer that question. What is my gift? How am I gifted to serve the body of Christ? So the first one begins where we should probably usually begin. It's prayer and scripture. <laughs> prayer and scripture. How do we discern? Through God's word and through the means of prayer. We should ask God to help us know how he has gifted us. If God's the one that gave it to us, he probably knows what he gave us, right? How has God gifted us? How does he want to use us? And we should read the scriptures related to the, to the spiritual gifts, not simply so that we can have a list of possible gifts, but so that we rightly understand their function in the body so that we, we can stay humble and we can allow the focus of the gifts to remain where they should be, which is on others and serving others, not on my pride. After prayer and scripture, we could move to personal discernment, is what we'll call this. Personal discernment. As you read the scriptures and as you pray, how do you sense the Spirit leading you? What do you want to do in the church? And, and is that desire a, from a pure motive? How has God maybe used you in the past? How have you felt the joy of the Lord in serving others in different ways? Now, part of this personal discernment could include going through a spiritual gifts 
inventory. I've already mentioned I'm, I'm a little wary of these for, I don't know why, but I am. <laughs> I have different reasons, but I think God can use them as a tool to help us think about the different ways that we can serve the body, maybe give us ideas about how uh, to serve the, the church that we've never thought of. And so with that in mind, I've printed some off that Lifeway offers for free. And if you want one, they're out on this table. You can go through and maybe think about ways to serve the body that would be helpful. But combined with that personal discernment and thinking about how you're gifted, we should also, third, seek input from others. Input from others is what we'll call it. So we've got prayer and scripture, we've got personal discernment, and we have input from others. And by others, I mean brothers and sisters in Christ, Um, not just some stranger on the street, of course, right? Uh, But because there are those around us that can often see more clearly how God is using us, and then they can see more clearly than even we ourselves can see how God is using us. In fact, there may be things that we are doing that we think, well, that's not ministry to the body, and they might come alongside us and say, oh, no, that's really serving the body in a unique way. You just don't realize how encouraging you are, how helpful you are, how you are being a blessing to others. So we should be actively talking to and encouraging and challenging one another in these areas of serving. But all of this assumes a fourth component, which is participation in the life of the church. If you want to know how to serve the church, then there needs to be some participation in the life of the church that is happening. Now, these are the four steps. I think they all work together. Um, Thinking about participation in the life of the church, if, if you want to know how the Spirit wants to use each of us individually, then we need to be involved with one another so that we can respond to opportunities that arise. We need to be aware of areas that we can serve and strengthen one another. Now, here's the deal. As I'm talking about this, I hope that your mind is not thinking about formal positions or named ministries within the church. That's often where this heads. There may be gifts that lead us to be set apart to a church office or that end up birthing a specific ministry within the church. But for the most part, as we are thinking about how God gifts us as as the body of Christ, we're thinking about how he gifts us for day in and day out, regular, uneventful, often unseen acts that bless others and strengthen the church. Spiritual gifts sound flashy, but they're just loving, serving, strengthening one another as opportunities come up. In fact, maybe the way to know how God is gifting you to serve the body is to just do the next thing that's in front of you, to think about what, what is the way that I can serve the body, what has the Spirit brought to mind, what's the opportunity that's in front of me, and to try it. <laughs> if someone needs exhorted, you do it and you trust that the Spirit's going to help you. If someone needs to be served, you serve them through the strength of the Spirit. If someone is in need of mercy, mercy, you cheerfully come alongside them. Do what is in front of you for the glory of God and in the power of the Spirit. Just think about this. Imagine how our church might grow deeper into the image of Christ if we all just did that this week. That whatever the Spirit brought to us in a moment to say, here's an opportunity for you to serve the body of Christ, and we just did it? Wouldn't that strengthen our fellowship? Wouldn't that shape us more into the image of Christ? Ultimately, we're serving one another as a means of being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, both individually and corporately. 
Here's the beautiful thing. None of us is gifted perfectly in all of these ways listed here and elsewhere, which is why we need the body. We need everybody working together. But think about this. Jesus was. Jesus was perfectly gifted in every way to serve the body. When you look through this list of seven or you look at any other other list, Jesus perfectly did every single one of those. He was the perfect man, which is why he is the head of the church. All that we do for good and for one another flows from him and reflects him. Even now, as we move and take the Lord's Supper, we're we're reminding ourselves that, that he's the one that holds us together. Our common faith in him is what unites us amidst our diversity. We're also reminded that that his sacrifice humbles us and it encourages us to to give all that we are to him in worship. You know, I wonder if we might today be filled with a sense of fresh commitment to Jesus as we take the Lord's Supper together. Maybe that would be where our minds and our hearts would go, that we would remember that he has given himself for us so that we might give ourselves to him as sacrifices of worship. That we might affirm our desire to, reaffirm our desire to walk in his good and his pleasing and his perfect will, including the ways that we find to serve one another. And so with these things in mind, let's let's take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, And then I will close, I'll, I'll pray Um, Joshua, would you be willing to help me pass the bread and the cup? And the bread and the cup are each just side by side. Uh, We'll pass them out, and you can take it, and then we will take it all together. Uh, But let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word and on Christ's sacrifice for us as we prepare our hearts to take this meal. Father, we come now to this table and we confess that we often are allowing ourselves to be more conformed to this world than to the image of Jesus. To the image of Jesus who served. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to even give his life as a, as a ransom for us as a sacrifice for us. Father, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, would you fill us with the desire to give ourselves to you as living sacrifices, to commit ourselves, mind and soul and body to you completely, knowing that it just makes sense and that in doing so we discover your good and perfect will that includes loving and serving one another. Lord, even as we take this together as the body of Christ, remind us of the unity that we have in Jesus, that he is what has drawn us together, and he's the one that holds us together. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.